recorded in front of a live studio audience. Fire up the projectors, turn on your TVs, and adjust your antennas. It's time for the Screen Addicts Podcast. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Screen Addicts Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Cinema Steven Solo Sosa. And that's all you're going to be getting this week as my co-hosts, Jeremy and Chris, are super busy guys. Chris is uh, coaching football. Jeremy's got his brand new job. And you know what? We hadn't released an episode since July. And I thought we should probably put one out there, especially since we had been getting some feedback from some listeners asking when we were going to... Uh, release a new episode. So I decided to come on here today and talk about a couple of movies that pertain to single character stories. In other words, the character is by themselves throughout the entirety of the film, or they have some supporting characters here and there, but majority it's them. But before that, uh, we'll be going into some of the things that I've seen recently. And in the last month and a half that we haven't recorded my gosh, there's just so many things that I've watched, but I just can't get into them right now. There's just so many, but I will talk about a couple things. I will talk about The Suicide Squad. I didn't get a chance to review it when it had come out because we were trying to coordinate a time to do it together, and it just didn't work, and I was just chomping at the bit like King Shark to talk about this movie. And if anybody hasn't seen it yet, I just want to tell you, just came off of HBO Max, which is probably the worst time to recommend a movie. Yeah, hey, go watch that movie on HBO Max that isn't streaming there anymore. But I guarantee you it'll be coming back in about a month. And when it does, you should take the the opportunity to watch it because it is seriously one of the best superhero movies that I've seen in a really long time. Probably since Shazam, like three years ago. And everything about it, I loved it. I, I And of, of course, me and Chris have a bias towards DC films. We can't help it. But... It's because of movies like this that helps me love what they're doing over there. It's the originality that they have with this film. Director James Gunn was brought in from Disney because, well, he was (laughs) removed from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And so Warner Brothers did the smart thing and swooped him up and said, hey, we uh, want you to do the new Suicide Squad movie. Would that be possible? And he's like, yeah, only if we can make it a hard R-rated movie. Sure, you got it. And, uh, you know, that is, of course, what happened in the boardroom as, you know, I was there. But anyway, so he does go ahead and he makes this movie and oh my gosh, it delivers on every count. It's funny in a very dark and twisted James Gunn type of way. So if you've seen anything that he has done prior to Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, like Super or Slither, hell, you can go all the way back to when he was writing for Troma. Like this dude has a warped sense of humor and, you know, it just so happens to be I have the same kind of sense of humor, but they were allowing him carte blanche on gruesomeness in this movie because there's no shortage of gore, no shortage of profane, uh, scatological humor, if you will. And all that being said, the story was still so incredibly creative and original that it just distanced itself from its 2016 predecessor, which has really nothing to do with this version of the movie. If you go and watch both versions, you will see a stark difference as far as just general look like there's an overall gloominess that the 2016 version had i mean they got the guy who directed movies like narc and sabotage you know david ayer these movies are real um a real grimy and kind of what was the end of watch with jake gyllenhaal for example it's a great movie all those movies are great and tank included with uh, or fury with uh, brad pitt where they're driving the tank all of these movies are very good 
very grimy, but it doesn't really satisfy that need for the, the, the sarcastic notion of these characters. And man, he brought so many characters into this movie. And of course, King Shark being one of the best ones, he was so kind of sweet, but then he can rip you in half. It was just a weird, weird dynamic. And one of the best stories I heard about the production of the movie was um, a friend of his pretty much dared him to say, hey, what is a what is the worst DC character in history? Like, what do you think would be the dumbest DC character? Because I bet you, you can't make that version, or I, I bet you can't make a good version of that character. And of course, his friend, he said, well, what about Polka Dot Man? Ridiculous character. And then James Gunn's like, all right, okay, I'll take that bet. And Polka Dot Man was fantastic. That's just how good this guy is of a filmmaker. So, and um, and of course, it's led by Idris Elba, who is great in literally everything he's done since The Wire, which is pretty much his entire career. So, and and um, what is it, Harley Quinn? And again, something that kind of bugged me was Birds of Prey. I enjoyed it, but this one seemed to disassociate itself away from that. And I guess that's okay, but it is what it is. And Suicide Squad is definitely something that you should check out. And if you have the means, in probably about a month, it'll be back on HBO Max. On the flip to DC was Marvel's Shang-Chi that came out last week and or two weeks ago I guess you know I saw it I happened to be there on the first showing I was just kind of caught up with work and decided hey I'm gonna go see a movie oh you know Shang-Chi came out and it was good I thought it was fine um some people are labeling it the greatest Marvel movie ever made and I'm like man you are just token on that Marvel buzz man you just really take that in and, you know, it's fine. I thought it was a good movie, but by no means is it the best Marvel movie I've ever seen. Marvel sticks to a formula, especially with its origin stories. It's it's a very good recipe to a meal that you love to eat. It, nothing will ever change. The taste of it won't ever change. It just so happens to be a great meal every time you eat it. But there's really nothing new to it. And the only thing that I will say about Chang chi that really separated itself was that it did do one thing that I have had problems with the Marvel um, action sequences, which is the fight choreography. A lot of these Marvel movies have somewhat standard-looking fight sequences and, you know, kick, punch, block, and just stuff like that. It's not really all that rousing, and but Shang-Chi, man, it looked like an old Jet Li, Jackie Chan movie. Like, the way that they he used everything to his advantage, a lot of physicality in between uh physical buildings and it's just like for example two big set pieces happen to take place on a on a train and when he's falling down the um the scaling on the side of the building like that was just so so well done and stuff like that was was really well done as well and uh, of course you have to stick to the end credits because this movie isn't uh just a one and done it is of course a piece to a bigger puzzle because that's what Marvel does, and that's what they are really well, what they're, and, and it's not a complaint, I think it's great, when you start, you know, making, placing pieces to this grand puzzle that's going to make them a bajillion dollars in the end, and that's something that I wish DC could do, I wish DC could start setting up these properties as a means to something else, and there's nothing wrong with that, there's no reason to look like it's 
copying each other. I think that's just the right way to go and tell a story, especially if you're talking about big team-up movies. A couple of trailers have dropped since then that I think should be worth discussing. <laughs> Speaking of Marvel, is the, the new Spider-Man trailer. And yeah, that looks absolutely insane. It's so good how it's tapping into my favorite Spider-Man movie, uh, Spider-Man 2 from 2004. What sucks, though, is that Flashpoint should have never have announced that it was going to be made because when you announce the fact that Batman is coming in and it's not only going to be played by Ben Affleck, but you're also getting Michael Keaton back in there, you, you like ruin the luster. You ruin the surprise because Marvel has their stuff together. They can come in there, make this movie, and be done with it. And they beat DC to the punch. So then beat Warner Brothers and DC look like chumps. And hey, if that's the way you want to do business, fine you're winning in it and it's just unfortunate but I will say that it does look absolutely fantastic another movie that looks great is the new Dune film that I'm pretty sure we're going to be reviewing in uh, I believe it's November December when it comes out the early word on that from the Venice Film Festival is that it is definitely a breathtaking uh, film Denis Villeneuve who has done Arrival, Sicario, Prisoners just an amazing filmmaker Oh, and of course, how could I forget Blade Runner 2049? It, it, it's just, it seems like such a revelatory experience that should be seen in the IMAX theaters, which is fine because everybody's going back to the theater now, I hope. Um, I've been going, I have not, nothing's going to stop me from seeing theaters. If there are certain precautions that need to be taken, I will take them because I just, that's what I do. I cannot not go see movies at the theater. My son even reminded me of this because we had watched The Suicide Squad about three times on HBO Max already. And he said, are we not going to go see this in the theater? And I thought, well, why? We've watched it three times in HBO Max. And he says, Zad, that's what you do. That's who you are. And damn it, was I not inspired. So yeah, of course, we went and saw it in the theater. And that, it just it made sense because you watch it in the theater and, and that's something that I've never done before as well. I've never, it was such a reverse kind of a situation. I've never seen a movie at home and then went and saw it at the theater. It's just such a weird dynamic that we live in now. But yeah, just watching it on the big screen just revitalized the notion that some of these movies, especially big budget films, need to be seen in the theater. That's one gripe that Christopher Nolan was making. Sure, a little bit of that was monetarily fueled, but that was one gripe that he was making. Like, you can't watch my movies on a home screen. It has to have the full experience, that full ex theatrical experience. And he's not wrong. I think, I mean, I saw Tenet in theater. I just didn't understand the damn thing because it makes no sense. It just doesn't make sense. And I can argue about about it if you want I mean it's not going to go anywhere much like the movie but he does have a point in that regard and I think that movies like Dune and of course um, the new James Bond film No Time to Die will be coming out in November they are hard set on the November release it has been delayed so many times already that they just can't afford to delay it any longer like the marketing is just increasing in price and they need to start making some dividends some some bucks on their profit or some bucks on that production cost. So we're definitely going to be getting the new James Bond movie in November. That reminds me, I need to rewatch all the Daniel Craig movies. I'm not, I, I thought I was going to do something stupid, like watch the entire Bond catalog, but no, I, I think I'm just going to settle on the Daniel Craig versions because 
yeah, that, that there's just too many. There's too many. This is the 25th one. I mean, I don't have the time, especially with everything that's been coming out lately. All the new shows, the new movies, and of course, you football fans out there, we have football back, and it's so good, and there's just too much to watch on top of everything else. But I will say, on the television front, me and um, the Mrs. have started a series that has been around for 20 years. It's just been such a long time coming for me to watch this show. My late uncle, it was his favorite show. He would always ask me every time before he passed away if I had ever seen The Sopranos. And I just told him, I was like, no, I, I haven't got around to it yet. Maybe at the time I was in college and I didn't have HBO or whatever the reason was. I just never got around to watching it. He even wanted me to borrow his DVD box sets just to catch up so he could talk to me about it. And I felt so bad. But now that I'm watching it, I totally understand why he pushed so hard for me to watch this show. He always loved the Mafia mob shows anyway. But I was like, man, he's really persistent on watching the series. I mean, yeah, I'll get around to it. But it unfortunately took me, you know, damn near two decades to get to it, but I finally watched it, and we are four episodes left of The Sopranos, and I'm not going to give you my full review or criticism until it's all over, but man, as far as I can tell you right now, after six and a half seasons in, this show definitely lives up to its its hype. It definitely lives up to its label of being a top ten greatest television programs of all time. I had to look up how many times um, James Gandolfini won an Emmy for his performance as Tony Soprano. I, I didn't even question the notion that he has never won before. I just questioned how many times he did win, and the answer is three. And, of course, that happens, and then Brian Cranston comes in as Walter White and just starts taking all of them from him. But then again, Sopranos ended in 2007, a year after Breaking Bad did. So almost a passing of the torch, if you will, as far as the anti-hero goes, because... I always looked at Walter White as a character that was the anti-hero that you rooted for, which he is, but man, Tony Soprano had been doing it for six years prior to that. And I just felt, you know, I I was missing out on this. Like it was actually Tony Soprano that set the stage because this guy is a horrible, despicable man. He is terrible. Very much like, you know, like Dexter or Jax Teller in Sons of Anarchy, like the uh, or, or Vic Mackey in The Shield. You know, you have these characters that are just hardcore badass dudes and terrible people doing illegal, terrible things. But here you are rooting for them. You're just, I don't know, you're so captivated by the story. And again, I will refer to um, a later episode when we discuss probably the entire series because the many saints of Newark will be coming out on HBO Max. I think it's coming out in the theaters as well, but. Um, the prequel film, and it's a big budget film. David Chase, the showrunner of The Sopranos, is coming back to write the film. It's directed by Alan Taylor, who um, directed some of the episodes of The Sopranos and some of the episodes of Game of Thrones. Very accomplished filmmaker. He didn't do so well in the theaters. That was my one thing, is that he directed Thor The Dark World, which is arguably one of the worst Marvel movies ever made. And then he did Terminator Genesis. And this is the Terminator film that came out before the last one that just did. This is the one that had Amelia Clark as Sarah Connor. And they tried to rewrite the history of the story. And it was just bad. It was really, really bad. And so I feel like Alan Taylor is kind of somewhat going back to his roots. Like he's taking the things that he learned from cinematic filmmaking perspective 
and just putting it towards what he was really good at, which was directing the Soprano episodes and says, hey, let's fuse this together. And I think we got a good story. And uh, I believe that's at the beginning of October, which we'll have to put a pause on all of our Halloween horror movie watching because, yeah, that's definitely one that we're going to watch. And um, moving on, we don't have any headlines per se. I mean, there's been a lot of news that's been going on. But I will say today we recently... uh, got wind of the fact that Norm Macdonald, Saturday Night Live alum, passed away due to cancer at the age of 61. And, of course, that's a bummer, especially for people in my generational age group. Like, my generational age group loved this his group of Saturday Night Live cast members. You know, you had him. This was the years of Sandler, Spade, Farley, like all of those guys. And his rendition of The Weekend Update is still, to my to this date, the best. I, I thought he was the funniest, his dry wit, his delivery, everything about his 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 anchorship in that role was perfect. And yeah, you know, a lot of people will make the argument that you had Tina Fey, then you had Jimmy Fallon, you had Seth Meyers, and now you have the two guys, Yost and uh, Colin, Colin Jost and I can't remember the other guy's name, but I'm not, I'm not too much of a fan of theirs. You know, as a matter of fact, I saw online like a clip of their um, most recent versions of um, of the weekend update and they were talking about some joke and you know people were saying oh they went too far and I mean that's kind of what the weekend update is but I don't know anyway so it's just like their their rendition isn't as good because they always laugh at their own jokes I don't really I don't really like when you're trying to tell a joke and you're laughing at your own jokes and uh, oh yeah Michael Che that's who I was thinking of but I, I don't know. I just don't like I don't like how they do it. And Nor- it just further emphasizes the fact that Norm was the best. And he will be missed. And now for the main topic of the night. As quoted by John Bon Jovi, no man is an island. Well, I am tonight. And I'm holding it down for my fellow screen addicts as I am going to discuss the best movies that feature a single cast member in the film. Okay, and now for the list. I'm going to go with number three. I Am Legend, starring Will Smith. Now, this film came out in 2007. This was a remake of the Charlton Heston film, The Omega Man. And, I mean, it was really good. It was directed by Francis Lawrence, who went on to direct a couple of the Hunger Games films, Constantine, a couple of other movies. And I thought it was really good. I It's very hard to root against Will Smith, especially in this situation. I mean, there's not too many actors and actresses that can carry a film entirely on their own. And he does. He plays a scientist who is looking for a uh, strand to cure this virus that is essentially infecting people and causing them to turn into these genetic, genetic mutated kind of vampire type of characters. And there has been a lot of controversy about this film because apparently the ending that was shot and released theatrically showed Will Smith um, essentially being like a martyr for the situation. Like he's blowing up the bad guys. But what happens in the book was also in an alternate ending where he realizes that he can cure these people and they're just scared and lost. They weren't trying to attack him. They can't help their aggressive nature because of this virus. So what ends up happening is he finds this cure. He helps them and kind of saves the day. But, you know, Warner Brothers, of course, wanted a more action-oriented type of ending. And that is, of course, what we got in the film. Very much similar to uh, the Heston version of the Omega Man. But that was a lot more... um, that, I don't know, I guess that mixed a lot more of the science and action as well. But yeah, so number two, 
is a movie directed by oh my gosh i have another steven spielberg movie on this uh on one of my lists you don't say yes this is of course the 1971 film duel so duel is a really great film in the regards that not only is it a highly suspenseful film but it's steven spielberg's first big budget film it was released on tv did so well on television that universal decided to give it a bit of a theatrical run just because they believe so highly into the film and you know spielberg goes on to do the sugarland express and then of course he goes on to do jaws and the rocket just launched from that point but duel is about a traveling salesman who's just driving down the road he's sitting in the car pretty much the entirety of the film and he's being chased down and stalked by this guy in this massive diesel truck like there's no really logical reason as to why i think that lends its way to the suspense of the film very hitchcockian notion of not being able to discern the intentions of the driver he's just doing it i mean why because why do some crazy people do the things that they do there's no explanation for it but dennis weaver plays the salesman and he's just trying to figure out what's going on he starts questioning what he may have done internally did he do something externally whatever it was to really piss this guy off because he's just literally trying to drive him off the road and there is a standout scene in there where he goes into the diner and the diner is just filled with all these traveling truckers because it's a roadside diner. That's where all these truck drivers are stopping and eating food and probably arm wrestling like over the top. But he's in there and he's starting to see all these people and he's trying to figure out which one. And the camera work is like right in his eyes, just like looking around at everybody, looking to see if they're staring back at him as if they have their prey in their eyes. Just such great camera work. And it really proves that Spielberg is a man that is going to be doing a you know a long running career probably not to the links that he did but at the moment you know he he does prove his worth in that film and of course it leads into a great ending and it's a fantastic movie so if you've never seen Duel Steven Spielberg's very first film I highly recommend you watch it now before our number 1 picks or my number 1 pick god I miss you guys we'll figure it out but before the number one pick, we have a couple of honorable mentions that I would like to run down for you. And some of those are Gravity, the Sandra Bullock movie where she's lost in space. Of course, there is a couple of moments in there where George Clooney pops up. But hey, that's her pretty much the entirety of that film. Uh, garnered a second Academy Award nomination for it. You know, if you ask me, I think she should have won for that and not the blind side. But, you know, that's just my taste of things, I guess. But yeah, that's a great film. And uh, speaking of female-led films like that, um, The Shallows came out with uh, Blake Lively, where she's stuck literally on a buoy being stalked down by a shark the entire time. And of course, that's like a fear every time you walk into the water. Like, what's out there? Who knows? It's all out there. Especially here in Panama City. We've had a lot of recent news of shark attacks, so that makes that movie even more um, terrifying. And speaking of being out in the water, there was a movie that came out a couple of years ago with Robert Redford called All is Lost, where he's out on his yacht, he ends up being swept into the storm, and he's just trying to come back in, trying to be safe, that's a really good film. And a movie called Lock with Tom Hardy, he's just in a car the entire time, and he's talking to this woman he's having an affair with, he's talking to his wife, he's talking to these people that are trying to bribe him, you know, very t tense taut, thriller, and... um 
Speaking of being in tight spaces, there was the film Buried with Ryan Reynolds, where he was literally buried underground in a casket the entire movie. He's trying to figure out how, trying to figure out a way to, to what you know, to wiggle his way out of the situation he's in. And that is definitely not a movie for those who are, oh, how would you say it, claustrophobic? Because yeah, that's pretty pretty tough. Um, 127 Hours, starring James Franco, speaking of being in a tough position, he played uh, Aaron Ralston, the guy that got his arm stuck in the boulder while he was hiking by himself, and you know how that ends up. He had to cut off his arm just to get out of the boulder. That's not spoilers, by the way. That was a real story, so if you didn't know the news article, I don't know what to tell you. But what something that was highly fantasy was Life of Pi, and of course, Pi stuck out on the boat with all of these different animals, the tigers, and Ang Lee's beautifully filmed movie. I would highly suggest Life of Pi if you never got around to seeing it. It got nominated for a lot of awards when it came out. Highly, highly respected film. You know what? Let's just go with number one. And I think it's no surprise to literally nobody that number one is Castaway, starring Tom Hanks, directed by Robert Zemeckis, released in the Christmas of 2000. Still holds up. Still a beautiful film. Still Miss Wilson. It, and, you know, as a matter of fact, I was driving the other day and took a picture of a decal that was on somebody's truck of Wilson, his face, his, like, blood face. I was like, that's incredible. And so I should have ordered it online, but I don't have decals on my car. But I thought that one was really good. Castaway, if you've never seen it, is a film where Tom Hanks is uh, a representative working for FedEx. And he's being sent over to some area where he has to work the Christmas holidays. So he's kind of, you know, bummed out about it. So it was a small manned crew. And unfortunately, his plane crashes on a deserted island. And he's left to his own devices there. And luckily, he had a couple of packages that... He kept and used to help in any way, shape, or form, including a volleyball, in which case he put a bloody handprint on it, creating Wilson, his um, island buddy, which he desperately needed at the time. Again, if you've never seen Castaway, I highly suggest you watch it. And much like I was saying about Will Smith carrying a film on his own, few actors can do this. And of course, Tom Hanks is one of those actors. He's one of the greatest American actors in the history of cinema. He's great in comedies, he's great in dramas, he's just such a great actor, you can't not watch a Tom Hanks movie and come away with it saying it was bad. Except for The Bonfire of the Vanities. I watched that on HBO Max, that movie kind of sucked. But this was pre-Gump! It's pre-Gump, so it's okay. And um, But yes, highly, highly recommend Castaway. If you somehow have never seen it, that would be definitely the number one movie where a character takes place all by himself. Quick shout-out to Castaway in my hometown, they actually shot a scene. The scene at the very end of the movie is shot just about 20 miles west of Amarillo, Texas. I thought that was pretty cool. And of course, a lot of people in the theater in Amarillo were packing the place just so they could probably see that scene, but it didn't matter. It was already a great movie, and it's one that I highly recommend you see. Well, that's going to wrap things up this week, and I just wanted to thank everyone for listening. Even though it was just me and you had to hear me ranting and babbling on about movies just like I usually do. I know you miss Chris, or I know you miss Jeremy, and you were stuck with me this week, but again, I appreciate it. And again, if you want to follow us on all of our social media pages, you can go to Facebook and find us on there with the Screen Addicts Podcast. You can also search for Screen Addicts Fanatics. That is our group page that we have a lot of interaction with. We have a lot of great listeners out there. We are also on Twitter at Screen underscore Addicts. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are there as well. And to listen to the episode, we are literally on every podcasting platform now. We have ascended to the ranks of all of the wonderful platforms out there from Spotify to Apple to Amazon 
to iHeartRadio, Podbean, Buzzsprout, any, literally anywhere you listen to your podcast. Our episodes are being posted there. We have been getting a lot of good reception. We got a lot of global audience. We hit global numbers now, people. That's great. So we're going to try and get some more content out there for y'all. But in the meantime, again, thank you for listening and adios, amigos. Thank you for listening to the Screen Addicts Podcast. 